Amen. If you have your Bibles, open up to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Uh, before Easter time, we had finished uh, in the book of 1 Samuel. And when we're done with 1 John, after the summer of love that we're in here, we'll uh, dig back into 2 Samuel and finish out that story. But uh, in the meantime, we're going to dig deep here into the uh, book of 1 John. And the love of God is one of, if not, I would might argue, the primary theme of this letter. So we look forward uh, to that. As you're opening up there, let me just say a word of gratitude uh, this morning. Whitney and I have two dear friends, who at least one of which many of you may know or remember. Uh, Jacob and Susanna Stewart are here with us this morning. Uh, Jacob attended here at First Baptist Church uh, earlier in my ministry, seven or eight years ago, I think it was, for maybe close to a year. Uh, he was here at First Baptist Church uh, while he was a seminary student and um, has now graduated seminary, had been in bivocational ministry up until recently, but now is going full-time as the associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Bremen, Georgia. And so they're here at First Baptist Gadsden today before they get started back there. Now, some of y'all might have stayed home today if you knew you were going back to work at a church next week, right? But they decided not only uh, to go to church, but to drive to Alabama from West Georgia and uh, go to church here at First Baptist Church. I would never do that, but some of you might have done that. Now, he's here, and Susanna's here, and not only when he was attending here, he was a young, single seminary student. Now, um, he's full-time in ministry with a wife, beautiful wife, Susanna Stewart, and two wonderful little boys, Jake and Charlie, who are making good use of our nursery right now. I told them they might not want them back after they get spoiled down there uh, in our nursery. So, all that being said, welcome to Jacob and Susanna. We're going to steal them down to the pastor's reception later if you'd like to come say hello and wish them well and tell them you'll be praying for them as they begin their ministry there in Bremen. We're excited for them and proud of you, Jacob. Real proud of you. All right. If you have your Bibles open there to 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, why don't you stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his gospel. Oh, God, we thank you for that which was heard, that which was seen, that which was touched. And, oh, God, we thank you for that which has been proclaimed to us in which we ourselves believe, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. At one point, the thought was for Josh Tillman, he was confident that he would eventually be a pastor. 
Certainly he had maybe had a hiccup or two in the youth group. He was one that always asked questions or sort of pushed the envelope. But as he said, and I think this is probably accurate, oftentimes those are the guys that do become pastors. However, after college and through different things happening in his life, he eventually lost his faith. And at different moments in his life, I'm not sure if he would say that now, but at different moments in his life, he would have even said that he didn't believe in God, would have called himself an atheist. Instead of being a pastor, though, Josh Tillman's life took a different direction. He became a musical artist, a singer-songwriter. He performs under the name Father John Misty, and he presents in his work ongoing antagonism to religion. One song, listen to what he says. Uh, It's a song called Pure Comedy. He says, now that's what I call pure comedy. Just wait until the part where they start to believe they're at the center of everything and some all-powerful being endowed this horror show with meaning. In other words, he's talking about the silliness of mankind and the way he sees all of mankind and the way mankind thinks as pure comedy. And he kind of sees organized religion as the pinnacle of this pure comedy. However, someone who's that antagonistic toward religion, who um, is that almost angry sounding about those who believe in God, listen to what he said in another song, a later song called God's Favorite Customer. Hear, Hear the longing that's presented in these lyrics. Speak to me. Won't you speak to me, sweet angel? Don't you remember me? I was God's favorite customer. But now I'm in trouble. Speak to me. Won't you speak to me, sweet angel? I need some company. I I read an interview from 2017 with uh, Father John Misty, And the interviewer said this, at the end of the day, Tillman doesn't have an issue with Christianity or even an issue with God. He still hasn't experienced the encounters, encounter others have or that he's looking for, but he does believe it's real. Tillman says of his own faith, his own experience, and one reason why he left the faith, Christ just never did anything in my life, he says. It just didn't work that way. I only mean that in the very remedial sense. I said the words, you know the words he talks about when he was saved or prayed the prayer. I said the words and I didn't feel anything. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. As Paul said in our text last week, as some of your own poets have said, so often what people are saying in our culture is a window in a mirror, a window into the soul of the world we live in in a mirror for ourselves in so many ways. Even those who are antagonistic against religion, I hope you can see, still can't quite seem to escape a desire to know God. If you listen to Father John Misty, you might say he's blasphemous, perhaps, or certainly at the very least angry with God. But there's often still a desire, even for people like that, to know God, to see God, to be touched by God, to experience God. I think it's because we were created to know God and love God. You see, in the world we live in, and maybe even for some of you in this room, God seems elusive. He seems hard to get. But the good news of the gospel is that we can know God. We can see God. We can experience God because God came to us in our hour of need. When we most needed company, when we most needed a word from heaven, God sent the word of his only son into the world. For so many in our world, I think this is such a challenge that God seems far away, that God seems unknowable, that God seems distant. 
But through this gospel, through this good news, through what Jesus has done for us, we can know the unknowable. God may seem distant and elusive, but we can know him through Christ. And we can find joy in the unthinkable. God has drawn near to us. What a miraculous thought it is that the God of the Bible would come to us, not to be aloof or to keep his distance, but instead to invite us into relationship with him by coming to us. He is the initiator. Brothers and sisters, this is the good news of the gospel. This is the love of God. And it's on this gospel that everything about this church hinges. We are a gospel church. We are a good news church. We are a Christ-centered church. And so everything we believe, everything we hold dear, everything we preach, everything we sing, when we take the grand scope of the totality of the Bible like we did this morning and we sing praises unto God from our hearts in this way, every single word we sing, every prayer we pray, every verse we read hinges on whether or not we believe that Jesus Christ coming into the world is good news, whether or not we believe this gospel. This morning, I want to show you three truths about this gospel. Uh, Three truths about this good news today. Three truths about the gospel that I hope will shape and form your understanding of God, will shape and form your relationship with God, and will help us as individuals and as a people, as a church, go nearer to the core of what it means to follow Jesus, to keep the gospel at the center of our church, and most of all, to keep the gospel at the center of our hearts lives. Three truths about the gospel this morning. Here's the first truth. Jesus is the center of the gospel. The essence of the gospel is the Lord Jesus Christ. We do not have a gospel without Jesus. Verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes. We looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Now, I want to tell you about this little phrase, word of life here. Um, Scholars and commentators have a hard time knowing exactly what John is talking about here. Kind of struggle with this a little bit. And you might understand why. Immediately, we go to John's other writings and we think, for example, of what we read earlier, the prologue to John's gospel, where Jesus is called the Word, right? And he is so often called the way, the truth, and the life. And it seems in so many ways like John here is talking about Jesus. He was from the beginning. He was with the Father, all these different things. But at the same time, as we look at this, other commentators believe that the word of life is not necessarily referring to Jesus himself, but referring to the gospel which was preached, the proclamation of the apostles, what scholars call the kerygma, this proclamation, what came out in the preaching of the early church. And so it's sort of confusing for scholars in attempting to tease out exactly which nuance John is pointing to here. And I think, as is so often the case in texts like this, where people struggle between two meanings, that John is doing this intentionally. Because... Without the Lord Jesus Christ, 
the Word made flesh, the Logos of God. There is no word of life which we proclaim. And the word of life which we proclaim is meaningless and void if it is not a means by which we preach the person, the word, the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot tease out the difference between what it means to preach Jesus and to preach the gospel. If you want Christ, you better have the gospel. And if you want the gospel, if you want good news, you better have Christ. That's what John is driving at here. And he says, it's that which we have heard, that which we have seen with our eyes, that which we looked upon and touched with our hands. John is blowing up any notion whatsoever that the good news which he and the other apostles preached, the good news which is being preached even now in this church, he blows up any thought that it might be the fancy imaginings of a self-proclaimed prophet. Maybe somebody uh, had the wrong thing, bad hummus for supper the night before and sat down and just imagined something like this. It's not, John argues here, as he says these things, it's impossible for this to be the ecstatic experience that someone brought back to us from a spiritual journey. It's not like the Apostle Paul went off for 10 years in Arabia and there met with angels and maybe got involved with some mushrooms or something and came back with some sort of crazy ecstatic experience. It's not the psychedelic imaginings of a singular seer. Come and see what I have to say about God. Come walk the path that I've walked to God. Follow this five-fold path and you too can have the experience with God that I have. I met an angel of light in the woods and he gave me this message or God himself came to me in a vision and gave me this. No, none of these things are the case, John is saying. Our gospel is rooted in the true historical encounter with the word of life himself and out of that encounter was born a word of life for all peoples in all places at all times the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ yes this Christ is from the beginning he knows no beginning he has always been he is very God of very God John is not shying away from the full divinity of Christ and that is, sort of starts to give us maybe a little bit of a tinge of the unknowable, the transcendent. But, yes, he's from the beginning, but, John says, we heard him. The skeptic might reply, of course you could hear a word. Here they go, hearing voices again. No, you don't understand, they say back. We saw him with our eyes. Ah, the skeptic says, the toothless epileptics are on about visions again. They're crazy, they've lost their minds. No, you don't quite understand, the gospel says, John says, the apostles say. We heard, we saw with our eyes, we looked upon him. In fact, we have touched him with our hands. This word of life, this message... This good news that we proclaim is a person. Jesus of Nazareth, born of a woman, born in a stable. He grew, the Bible says, in wisdom and stature. 
He took naps. Not always at the best time, sometimes in a storm on a boat, but he took naps. He took water and made it into wine. He broke bread and in breaking it, it exploded into abundance. He touched those who were deemed unclean and untouchable. And rather than becoming unclean himself, he made them well and whole. He kneeled in the dust and on the verge of showing amazing grace, he doodled with his finger in the dust he made. He spit in the dirt to make a salve. His hands and feet were pinned to a cross of wood for our sins. His body was raised on the third day. He knelt by the shore and grilled fish over a charcoal fire in his glorified body for his disciples. Thomas was able to feel the glorified wounds of the Lord Jesus Christ even after he was raised. This is what we proclaim. Not a disembodied idea, not an untouchable, an unknowing God, not a path of spirituality, not vague notions of God, not something that some sort of insider niche thing. No, we proclaim a person. A person who came here and a person who even now is at the right hand of God. That's who we proclaim. That's our message. It's Christ crucified and raised from the dead. Fully God of fully God. Fully man. A real man with a real body. He was heard. He was seen. He was touched. He is the word of life. And the life was made manifest. Was revealed to us. And we have seen it and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. My friends, this gospel we proclaim has Jesus at its center. It has Jesus at its center. Second point is this. The church is built by the gospel. The church is built by the gospel. Scholars have a hard time translating and interpreting this passage here. And one of the main reasons is the verb of the sentence comes really late. Um, Oftentimes, this is sort of a tool that someone might use. They wait for impact and emphaticness, emphasis. They wait to use the verb until later. And here John's main verb, the whole passage sort of falls on top of, hinges on a single verb, we proclaim to you. To proclaim or to preach the declaration of the gospel is the center of this passage. That which we have seen and heard, John says in verse 3, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, that is John and the other apostles, those who are preaching this gospel. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Do you see um, the picture that John's giving here? He's already alluded to that which was from the beginning. It's hard to hear that word beginning and not have your mind go all the way back, isn't it? In the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And then you throw in this other little piece of language in the text. This word of life. God speaking life. 
So if we've already gone back to this word beginning a little bit, it's not a stretch to do that. Not a stretch to go back to John 1 a little bit there. Certainly not a stretch to start thinking about he who was with God in the beginning. This word was with God in the beginning. And then it is a word of life. It, it's hard for our minds, and I think John's intentionally trying to make our minds go back to creation here and to think about the way that God spoke the world into existence. Let's remember this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then on days one through six, what did God do? He spoke to this world, and as he spoke, the world was formed and filled and was made good, in fact, very good, by its creator. God formed the land and he formed the waters and he formed the heavens and he filled them with the sun and the moon and the stars and he filled the waters with creatures and he filled the earth with beasts and he, and he placed man and woman in the center of his creation to reign and rule over those things. That is, as God's word came, it brought order and life and vitality to his creation. And I think some of what John is doing here is helping us see the way that this word of life is still at work. This God God who speaks things into existence is still at work. And as this gospel, this word of life is preached, as Christ proclaims this gospel through his chosen instruments, through the apostles, through his church, then the creation order is righted through the establishment of fellowship with God, fellowship with one another. That is, the church is born as this gospel is proclaimed. Wherever the gospel goes, the Lord Jesus builds his church. It's inevitable. When the gospel's preached rightly, when the gospel's preached fully, when the gospel's preached truly, the Lord Jesus Christ will build his church. Gospel proclamation is what animates and gives life to the Lord's church. This word here, koinonia, fellowship, is a church word. In the New Testament, this isn't a small groups movement. I love Sunday school, love smaller groups. This isn't a parachurch movement. I love campus ministries. I love mission center. I love parachurch things. I love it when Christians do things together to make an impact in the world. No, this koinonia, this fellowship that's had here between the apostles and those who hear this gospel. This is a, a symbol of the building of the church. It creates, it breeds fellowship. Gospel proclamation is what animates and gives life to the Lord's church. Back in 1855, when this church was founded, when this church started, what gave life and breath to this church was not just simply Baptists getting together and saying, let's start a church. What really makes the church the church at its most foundational level is the right preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must have a gospel culture from the foundation to the absolute tips of the roof. There must not be one aspect of this church that's not imbued with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you get the opportunity to counsel a friend, I ask you for advice. Give them the gospel from the Word. Give them the gospel from the Word. If you're visiting a friend in the hospital, give them the gospel. If you get to teach Sunday school, if God's given you the privilege to teach Sunday school, give them the gospel from the Word. We don't have to chase rabbits. We, have to do all this. we need the gospel. We need it every chance we get. We need to be filled with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you get the chance to teach VBS or to lead in McSpadden, give them the gospel of grace. If you rock a baby in the nursery, 
whisper the sweetest thing in the world in their tiny little ears. Jesus loves you and gave himself for you. You're never too young to hear the gospel. Gospel proclamation is what builds Christ's church. Gospel proclamation is what sustains Christ's church. And we must recognize that the preaching that happens from the pulpit is imperative and necessary and important for the proclamation of the gospel. But every single member of the Lord's church is meant to be some part of the ministry of the word. Every chance you get, let the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ be on your lips. This gospel proclamation leads to fellowship. It leads to koinonia. It it, it leads to a relationship with God. Do you see what John says? Still in verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, that is this word of life, the gospel of Christ, we proclaim also to you, the readers, the hearers, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Communion with God is the bedrock of the church. The, the, the fellowship that you are being invited into is not primarily a fellowship with other believers, though that's an aspect that John clearly means, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But the primary communion which you are invited into when you hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, is a vertical communion with the Father and the Son. It's why we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, because we then have access, direct access to God, because God is in us. We have a perfect relationship with God, because God has a perfect relationship with His Holy Spirit. The Son has a perfect relationship with His Holy Spirit. And so we are invited into a very real communion with God. We know Him. We love Him. And our connection and fellowship with God gives birth to fellowship with one another. Some of you might be angry at your brother. Some of you might be quarrelsome, backbiting, busybodies, unkind. In other words, your fellowship might be broken horizontally because something's not right with your fellowship vertically. You're hiding sin from the Lord. You're pressing on in unrepentance. Perhaps you think you're trying to earn your salvation before God. Nothing will make you angrier and meaner to folks than legalism. It's a miserable way to live. You're not going to be happy. You're not going to be nice to anybody. It's just reality. Here's the reality. Here's the reality. The gospel builds a community defined by the law of Christ. The Holy Spirit has written the law on our hearts. He's taken our law of stone and made it a law of flesh. And what the gospel does is it builds a community that's defined by love for God and love for neighbor. We're invited into koinonia with God, with fellowship with God, and then we have fellowship with one another, right? That's love God love people. That's Jesus' summation of the law. This is what the Spirit is doing. This is what the gospel is doing in our lives. Oh, how essential it is for love to define this fellowship. Our walk with God 
is an essential ingredient. Our fellowship must be with God, and then our fellowship with God impacts our fellowship with one another. This is not a mere social society. We're not just a group of religious seekers. We're not primarily bound by anything but the fact that we all know and serve and love the same God because we have all been redeemed by His Son, Jesus Christ. That's who we are. That's at the core. And that love that God has for us and that love then that we have for God because of the love which He showed us first then overflows in love for others. Loving Christian community may be the most important apologetic we have in an increasingly secular world. What better way is there to show that God has drawn near to us than for us to draw near to our neighbors and friends? What better way is there to show that God loves sinners than for us to love our enemies? What, what better picture is there of the fellowship with God that we offer in the gospel than the genuine love that we have for one another in the church? My friends, Jesus is the center of the gospel. The church is built by the gospel. And finally, joy is the fruit of the gospel. Joy is the fruit of the gospel. Verse 4, And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Not just John and the apostles, but the hearers as well. All of our joy might be complete. Do you see this? Do you see why John wrote this? Do you see why John preached the gospel? Do you hear what you ought to hear when you hear these things? A world in rebellion against God. His rightful territory, owned by Him because He spoke it into existence. God decided to invade it. He decided to go back and take back His territory. And He did it not in order to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved. God invaded His world on a mission of love, a mission of redemption. God didn't throw us away when we sin. He didn't say it's ruined, it's just too bad, they're too far gone, they're just made out of dust anyway, why don't they just toss them away? No, God came to get us. And here John says, these things are being written for our joy. If you have heard the message of the gospel, if your understanding of Christianity has been uh, received by you in such a way that you miss the fact that it's intended to bring joy, but then perhaps you heard man's rules or man's laws or man's thoughts and not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because Christianity is a revolution of love that brings joy into a dark world. Joy is the fruit of the gospel. What joy there is that courses through the life of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The joy of hearing good news. Don't you love to hear good news? We hear it every Sunday and we believe it. There's the joy of knowing God, the joy of fellowship with one another. Brothers and sisters, don't you long for this joy? Don't you long to know and to have fellowship with your Creator? Don't you want to hear a word to experience life? Don't you need some company? Don't you need this fellowship? I have bad news for you today. I can't offer you simple steps to joy. 
I can't offer you a plan for inner peace. I can't coach you on getting your life together. If anybody ever says to you, I've got a new life coach. His name's Matt Alexander. Come find me and whoever deacon chairman is and make sure that I get fired. I have no business telling anybody how to get their life together. That's the bad news. But I do have good news. I can't do any of those things. I can't give you a five-fold path to inner nirvana or any of this kind of thing. But what I can do is introduce you to my friend. My brother. My Lord. In Him. In Christ. His fullness of joy. At His right hand are pleasures forevermore. And whoever comes to Him, He will never cast out. He will listen to you, but you can hear Him. And in Him we hear the sweetest song. A new song, the Bible says. The song of grace. And my friend, I want to introduce you to, we see what cannot be seen. Even Moses couldn't see God face to face. He had to be hidden in the cleft of the rock and watched as God's glory passed by. Only the rear could he see. But in Christ we see what cannot be seen, the very essence of divinity. In the face of Jesus Christ we see the glory of God shining. He is God. In Him we touch what cannot be touched. God's people could not even touch the mountain where God's glory was, but Jesus stands with arms wide open waiting to receive you fully. In Him we find joy in the unthinkable. God has come to us and He freely offers us adoption into His own family through His Son. In Him we find joy in the unthinkable. That He lived the life that we couldn't live and died the death that we deserved so that we might have a right and perfect relationship with God. In Him we find joy in the unthinkable. That though this world, as Luther said, seems to be filled with devils, though it is so clearly occupied, enemy-occupied territory, the King of creation has built embassies. He has built places, pockets of His kingdom, all throughout a sin-littered world, a devil-dominated world, the revolution has begun, the counter-operation has begun, and you are invited into fellowship with Him and into fellowship with His people, and He wants you to be a part of His kingdom that is working through creation like leaven works a lump of dough, like a mustard seed grows into a mighty tree, and that kingdom has no end. What joy there is, brothers and sisters, in knowing and loving and serving Jesus Christ. He speaks even now. Will you answer? I want to offer an invitation this morning. Do you believe the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you've never met my friend before, I would love to introduce you today to my brother, my Lord, Jesus Christ. I believe with all my heart if you will turn from your sins in repentance and turn to God in faith through Jesus, I really believe you will be saved. 